All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, uh, the podcast where we take uh, issues of mental health and inner turmoil and struggle um, of all sorts and shapes and sizes and try to figure out how to, how to have a conversation about them in the most normal way possible. Um, and uh, so in this episode, we're actually continuing the conversation about race. Uh, for those of you who've been listening to the past couple episodes, you know that um, about a couple months ago, I recorded an episode with my friend Andre, uh, who is African-American, and we talked for a long time about his struggles and never once talked about how he was, uh, he's African-American and about how his experiences as an African-American might have impacted his life in a way that, you know, really was relevant to the conversation and it never came up. And, uh, and then, you know, because of that, and obviously off of, uh, um, the, um, horrific, um, you know, uh, thing that happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, his horrific murder, um, and lynching, um, uh, you know, that sparked so much, uh, protest and, uh, you know, civil unrest and things like that. Um, it sparked another conversation between me and Andre, uh, where he and I, and, uh, his girlfriend Jessica had a long conversation about their experiences growing up African American and what it was like for them. And we talked a lot about, you know, their relationship with the police and experiences they've had, et cetera. Um, and then after we recorded this episode, my, uh, my sister, the oldest of the three, my sister Rachel, heard, you know, listened to the episode and then said, Hey, you know, this really reminded me of this article I read a little ways back and sent me a link to the article. And I started reading it and I couldn't, I couldn't like get through it. We're going to talk about this in the podcast as, as a matter of fact, so I'm not going to go into too deep detail here, but I really couldn't get through it. I mean, it just, just reading it was, um, incredibly challenging for a handful of reasons. And thank God my sister also pointed me to this, uh, this podcast, um, uh, it's called Seen on Radio and they, you know, in multi-part episodes essentially tackle different topics. And a few years back, about a year after Trump was elected, back in 2017, they, tack- they tackled the issue of whiteness. In, um, in a season, you know, sort of a 14-part season, they called Seeing White. And, um, you know, in this show, what they do is um, they do a deep dive into the history of racism and the history of, you know, white people and, and what it's sort of all about. And it completely kicked my ass. I mean, I, I, I devoured the show over a couple day period and then went back to the beginning and devoured it again and then went back to the beginning. And it just one of those moments where you can feel your brain start to kind of rearrange. And, um, and so this really inspired me and Andre to continue the conversation. And we decided to record it and make it a, you know, part of the Sunshine and Brain Network. Um, and so this is uh, the first part of a multi-part conversation between me and my friend Andre. Uh, it's a continuation in a lot of ways off the last episode, um, but in a lot of ways, it's also kind of a starting from the beginning. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess what, what I hope and what we hope is that this is uh, yet another conversation that really ought to be happening right now. Um, uh, you know, and hopefully uh, as a white person, you know, I'm doing my job here and, um, you know, maybe even providing an example for folks in terms of, you know, how we can unabashedly, um, you know, look inward and make the changes we have to make in order to be able to see outward in the ways that we need to be able to see. So, you know, 
so yeah, so that's the scoop. Um, look, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for, you know, uh, opening this up and taking a look at it. Normally I'll spend some time kind of checking in with you and telling you how I'm doing, et cetera. A lot of that stuff I feel like is kind of irrelevant. And what I'd like to do is just go ahead and, you know, get started with the episode. So, um, as usual, you know, tell your friends about this, um, you know, like, and review it in those places where you can, you know, subscribe, et cetera. Um, you know, um, you know, please help us to grow this podcast into a thing, uh, so that, um, you know, we can make this conversation really mean something. And, um, and if you'd like to write to take part in the conversation, uh, you can always find me at josh at periveritas.com. So uh, that's the scoop. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and uh, roll the tape. Roll it. All right. It has begun. Yeah. All right. So I press record and uh, we are going. So what, yeah, what were you saying? <laughs> yeah, I was. What I was about to say was, uh, you know, after racking my brains, uh, analyzing the problem to death, you know, the the racism problem and the inequality problem and the economic problems and the <laughs> COVID and pandemic problems and every other problem that we're, we're having, I, I realized all these things have been analyzed to death thousands of times over by people way smarter than both of us put together, right? Yeah. So it's like. Let's just accept that we, we kind of know what those problems are. We know more or less how we got here. We even know why we keep repeating the same problems over and over. Uh, so let's toss that aside <laughs> and let's effing fix the problem. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Little old you and, and, and little old me fix the problem. Uh, okay. <laughs> we're only going to drive ourselves nuts. Yeah, I, we're only going to drive ourselves nuts going over it again. Like, okay, you know, humans only been around 200,000 years. Uh, you know, technology, let's call it agriculture, about 10,000. So-called civilization, the first cities, about 5,000 years ago. Uh, you know, capitalism, only a couple hundred years old, if that. You know, slavery basically came around the same time the worst parts of it came around in the United States, you know, and like getting closer and closer, effed up, effed up. We keep repeating the same stupid cycles of not handling diseases properly. And yeah, all these stupid prejudices and inequality has been around. I want to say inequality probably started with civilization, honestly, that's kind of like my viewpoint. I'm sure other people can come with different explanations, but when you have a tribal nomadic society, that's a way more equal situation than when you have uh, capitalism and cities and land ownership and all this other stuff, you know, all of a sudden there's, yeah. a yeah. you know, if you're, yeah. if you're uh, in the wilderness, you, you all have an equal hand in each other's survival. Yeah. It, it doesn't take much imagination to look at, you know, even stone age societies that exist today. And even there, you know, there's, there's a hierarchy in the, um, you know, various tribes or whatever. Um, yeah. And so naturally some people get sort of better things, but that tends to be, you know, relegated to the, you know, whatever the tastiest part of whatever meal is going on. Yeah. The best yeah. It's like if I, if I killed it, I'm getting first dibs. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, yeah. no, literally no one's going to argue with that. And if you take your first dibs and say, all right, I'm going to give it to my wife or my kids for, no one's really going to argue with that. But, but ultimately yeah. you're so interdependent on each other for survival. Okay. Who's watching your kids when you go out and hunt, you know? 
Yeah. <laughs> Have you <laughs> ever seen like that? The, there is this video. I think there's a bunch of different videos, but I saw there's one in particular that like really stands out for me. And it's a video that's all about um, the economic disparity between the folks who are like truly wealthy versus the rest mm-hmm. of us. And no, um, uh, there's this video about that and it's incredible. And they, they show it to us in a bar graph. Um, and, uh, you know, I forget that I'll share it with you later, but the basic gist of it is, um, when you look at where economic disparity is now, um, you know, just trying to put it on a chart, what ends up happening is, you know, you look at like someone like me, for example, right? So I live in Southern California. I have a three bedroom apartment that I rent for, um, you know, slightly under 3000 a month or whatever. I've got a car, I've got a job, um, I've got plenty of food and I, and I'm comfortable. Right. Um, and in comparison to, you know, 95% of the rest of the world, I, I've got it great. I mean, beyond, beyond great even. Um, but then if you were to put me on the bar graph and put the wealthiest people on earth on the bar graph as well, you wouldn't even see my bar. I was about to say your bar would be invisible on that chart. <laughs> you wouldn't even see it. You wouldn't even see it. But if you were to put me on a bar graph next to like the poorest people in Appalachia or, you know, look internationally and, and go to, you know, places in, in places like Haiti or mm-hmm. in places in Africa or in, you know, some places in China and, you know, you wouldn't even see them in comparison to me. Right. Um, yeah. But like the despair, like it, it's, it's just, um, it's just incredibly, it's incredibly stunning, you know, in yeah, terms of like how, how we got here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the collective wealth of the 1% is more than, you know, the collective wealth of the nations they inhabit. It's like, yeah. who, who's running the show? And, and right. it starts from something very primitive when some small group of people has better weapons or whatever the case is. And they're just like, no, right. you, you no longer have access to this, you know, lush land or this river. Right. You have to pay a toll. You know, you're going to have to, you know, give me your woman or your kids or your this or your that. You know, you have to give me right. something for it. Whereas before it was like all for the common good. Like the trouble like starts that primitive and that early. And then right. they have very complicated systems now uh, of doing that. So that kind of ownership privatization of like common goods is like almost invisible. And then it's been invisible for so long that we just take it for granted. Like, oh, yeah, I should you know, work to increase the wealth of, you know, the upper whatever percent <laughs> while putting myself further and further in debt when I should actually just have free access to the land that they just cleared out to make my yeah. life more difficult. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like, oh God, I don't even know where to fucking, I don't even know where to start. You know, th- my thing is like, all right, so you know, I'm not a historian by any stretch of the imagination, but history is sort of like my thing. It's it's like what I really love the most, you know, and I, I love it for a ton of different reasons. I mean, mostly because it's just so freaking entertaining. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to this podcast called Hardcore History by uh, Dan Carlin, and, and he says he got hooked on history by the story about how Cleopatra and, um, and uh, Caesar met. Do you know that story? 
Uh, yeah, it's uh, when she hit herself in the uh, carpet or the rug. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, Caesar was going in there because there's a you know civil war being fought in Egypt, um, and on one side you've got Cleopatra, who's uh, already mm-hmm. developed this you know worldwide you know reputation for being the most beautiful, intelligent, savvy, you know, charming woman on earth, <laughs> and she's like a teenager, and uh, and uh, you know she's fighting against her brother. Um, who is right. a big doofus, basically, but a man. And, um, you know, Caesar comes in to sort of figure out what's going on. But, but he's, on the, he's on, the, um, on the side that her brother, like he's physically on the side that her brother's army is on. And he really wants to talk to her, but he can't get to her. And so she gets snuck into him, into his room, rolled up into a carpet. Um, and then it comes out. So you, you kind of like fall in love with history there. So I like take a lot of pride on, on knowing these stories and like, unpacking sort of what's going on and all that stuff. And, you know, you and I um, recorded one podcast a couple months ago, another podcast a couple weeks ago, and the podcast a couple weeks ago about, um, you know, your experience growing up um, black in America and Jessica's as mm-hmm. well and all this stuff. And, um, you know, a big part of that for me was like kind of taking a blindfold off. You know what I mean? Like as long sure. as I've known you, we don't really ever talk about that stuff. So, um, you know, as a like lover of history, my whole thing is like history, like, I don't really believe history repeats itself. What I think is, is that human nature is just pretty constant. And so you're going to have stories where there are things that, um, you know, you're going to find a lot of similarities, but I don't think history repeats itself. Um, but like, um, I do think that in an ideal world, the study of history kind of opens up your mind to, you know, blind spots that you have in terms of your understanding of human nature and how it's worked throughout time. And the thing of it is, is that here I am loving history and, I, you know, I, I have these enormous blind spots in terms of just to what the whole experience of, in America has been. So my sister Rachel um, heard us, you know, heard our podcast, the one we did with Jessica, and was like, your, your podcast really reminded me of this article. And so she sends me this article and I start reading it and I can't fucking get through it. It like, mm-hmm. it just like hit me in, in the craziest way. And it was like almost too much, you know, and I'll share it with you, you know, later on and kind of see what I mean. And, and I think maybe one of my goals for this podcast is to be able to like actually read it and like understand it and be able to sort of have a different feeling aside from, Oh my God, get this away from me (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) And then she, thank God introduced me to this podcast. Um, and it's a podcast called scene on radio. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I essentially devoured it. They, they do a 14 episode sort of, you know, season about race, but more specifically about the history of white identity um, in the world and in America. And, yeah. um, it's, it kind of kicked my ass. I mean, I, I started listening to it and then I ended up loving it. It's a really well put together podcast and really powerful, obviously. And I kind of devoured it once and then kind of sat there in shock and then devoured it again. Um, and, um, I, it's like one of those things where I'm feeling, you know, these different neural pathways in my brain form just from, listening to this sure. thing, you know? So like on one hand, I hear you. It's like, man, we've, we've gone over history so many times with this and, you know, yeah. let's just like solve the problem. But like, I fucking, I need help, man. Like, <laughs> you know, 
like really, because like I, you know, the the thing that I really walked away from in this podcast is that I have always felt not always, but at a certain point, I came to feel that you know the story of racism is a story about attitudes, you know, and so if I like the, the best thing for me to do for the world is just to walk around with a non-racist attitude and also to raise non-racist children. And then it's mm-hmm. like, I'd be doing my part. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah. but what this podcast has kind of illuminated for me is that in having that attitude, I essentially became, you know, the quintessential example of why racism is able to continue. Um, sure. Because we make it like about attitude. So, like, actually, like, I could really fucking, <laughs> I, could, I could use the conversation about, like, how we got here um, in order to, like, figure out how to reshape my brain um, to help well, me communicate re- with the world in a way that's going to get us out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, reshape your brain is, like, an interesting choice of words because uh, going back to the, you know, whether history repeats itself or not, I'm, I'm going to go on the opposite end and say it does repeat itself because mm-hmm. individual humans feel like they're, myself included, stuck in their own personal loops. And then, like, as a culture, we're stuck in a, a loop that just keeps doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So on one hand, the way you break the loop is, of course, they always say the first step to solving a problem is, you know, knowing you have it. That is, like, yeah. the first step. But, like, breaking the loop is, like, not... Not quite that easy. <laughs> so it's like right. our own weird psychological hangups. And it's like, oh, you know, I always do this one mistake. Like, oh, you know, someone will say I always date the same type of guy or something, you know, and you don't you think you're finding someone new, but it's the same guy over and over really. Right. You know, just looks a little different, you know, acts slightly different, but really it's the same dude. And like, well, how, how do you like, how do you stop that? You know, so right. that part does take a lot, a lot of work. And, you know, since... Uh, history is just composed of a bunch of people. Then there's one big historical loop that keeps going on and on. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe we take a few steps forward sometimes and a lot steps back, but it's, there's definitely like a pattern there. It's not a repeat. Yeah. That's, 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 yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, it might not be that like, you know, you get the same thing exactly in history over and over again, but it's the same basic thing, I guess is what you're saying. Like, you know, yeah. you have all of humanity kind of, yeah, <laughs> different, different accents, names. maybe some different skin skin colors or something like that. But essentially, it's the same, the same thing. It's still the same. It's still the We're same. Still, thing. Like, every war is the same war. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, every plague is the same plague. Yeah, I get it's like a different is a different virus or a different bacteria, but we we handle it the same way, which is to not handle it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like right. Right. And, and, right. And you know the powerful. Uh, well, I was going to say the powerful would take the weak, but actually that, that might be, uh, not true. There was a big, there was a big change, you know, obviously like primitive humans, it would have been like the strongest, uh, or the most physically capable of whatever it is. But then, uh, there is some evidence that that change when, you know, people started getting more advanced social groups, so you could take out the big bully by cooperating in a group. <laughs> yeah. You know, so then, you know, the bigger brain and the bigger social network actually became more important than, you know, the bigger, faster, stronger body. Right. Right. So that might be right. one break in the loop right there, you know. Right. Right. Exactly. But now, exactly. now that's one haywire because now instead of uh, an individual who's really, you know, dominating a whole, a whole tribe or something, you just have like 
one little tribe, I guess this uh, Caucasian European tribe, <laughs> this kind of like being Napoleon. But I'm sure if we went back somewhere else, you know, it would have been some other group. You know, at one point it was like the Romans, and at the time it was Egypt, so on and so forth. Well, that's the thing. That's that's the thing about it, right? Because I mean, it's human nature that once you have, you don't want to give up what you have. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the thing. Yes. And then once you once you have as well, you want to monopolize you want, whatever it is. Yeah, and you don't want the generations that follow you, your your kids, to have less than you. You want them to have more than you. Um, yeah. and so, you know, there's this process of, okay, now I have, so now do I continue, how do I continue to have, and what am I willing to do in order to, you know, be able to do that? And that's where the, you know, the, the human nature aspect of it, I guess, makes history repeat itself where it's unique mm-hmm. is that, you know, throughout history, humans kind of find different ways to do it, which is like the conclusion. And, and I want to like, I guess I kind of. If it's cool, I'd love to sort of, you know, back up and like kind of jump in at the beginning and really start to unpack this piece by piece. But, you know, one of the conclusions that that they draw at the end is that like, you know, what whiteness is really is the world's first multi um, multi economic sort of coalition. Meaning that, like, it's the first time in history that the incredibly wealthy in the world figured out how to bring people onto their side without really needing to give them that much. But they give them a little bit more than they were giving to other people, where, like, you could draw a boundary in some way. And by giving them a little bit more, they then, you know, sort of build this new alliance. So instead of the sort of you know, we talk about the multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-generational alliance that Obama built. Um, this was the world's first, you know, multi-economic alliance, and mm-hmm. um, it was a it was a absolutely brilliant decision to do that. When you think about it, because what they then did was they were able to mask, you know, the real kind of motivation behind what they were doing, and then get folks who really have very similar needs working against each other. So they weren't, they wouldn't work against them, you know, yeah, it's and a self-fulfilling caste system. That's what's crazy. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like I am not like conspiratorial in terms of how I like approach just the way I walk around the world. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to catch me fucking talking about who really brought the world trade center down. <laughs> we know, you know, you know, um, but uh, like, um, this shit is like, I don't know. It really is fucking pretty conspiratorial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it didn't happen by accident. <laughs> no, no. So that's the thing. Like, so they, you know, they, so, okay. So the story begins. All right. Well, okay. Fuck it. I don't even know how to, how to do this. So just backing up. I mean, what I'd like, I mean, I guess in a way, like what I'm looking for here is an opportunity to just like, selfishly sit my ass on the couch and unpack how I've been racist my entire life. <laughs> it changed my brain to not fucking be racist anymore. Like, you know, put the mirrors up. So now I can see the blind spots as mu- as many right. as possible, you know? And I, and like what I'm asking for is your help to do that, you know? Um, so that's like, 
what brings me to the table? Um, I'm wondering. We're gonna I guess need to do some on like George Shock. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm open to it. My my uh, my my you know the, my particular Jewish approach to white guilt makes it so that it will. I'm definitely open to it, and I wouldn't be the first. I would not be the first in my family to get electroshock therapy. Either, so. <laughs> That's a long-standing tradition of that shit working on me on people in my family. So. Um, anyway, so yeah, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. But besides that, like I guess I'm wondering, like. What I guess I'm wondering what brings you to the table, and um, you know, if if our two kind of motivations kind of mesh here, do you know what I mean? Like, how do we fulfill them both? I guess. Uh, I don't know if they'll mesh at all, but I'm just kind of like sick and tired, <laughs> sick and tired of it. I'm like so yeah. fatigued of this entire system, uh, and it can't end soon enough. And it's like more or less humans have been evolving and I don't mean genetically culturally and technologically we've been evolving and in the scope of our ideas, we've been evolving, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's like, we're stuck on this one stupid thing. And it's like, people are holding it onto it. This uh, power structure, this capitalism, this racism is like kind of like all intertwined. We're holding onto this as if, it was, you know, the Ten Commandments <laughs> brought down by God and handed over to Moses. And like, well, yeah. we can't change it. People can't see passes. Like, well, what are you going to do if you don't have money? It's like money just got here. <laughs> yeah. And we're acting like it's an immutable force of nature. Like, and it's not like these this, the racism is a human construct. Capitalism and debt is a human construct. Uh, this weird caste system that we have of uh, the haves and the half nots, this whole thing, it's a human construct and it's a very recent one. And it seems to be perhaps for the first time to be like this immutable thing that no one really wants to look at and say, well, let's just throw it out and start over. Let's just make something different. They keep thinking we have to go backwards. Like, well, we can't go back to being tribal. I didn't say we have to go back to being tribal, but let's, set this whole mess aside and just like if we were landing on a new planet with new people for the first time, design a, a society that we would actually all want to live in and it would take us to the next thousand, 10,000 years. Like we've tried yeah. this experiment. It's run into a brick wall and we need to knock down that wall and come up with something different. That's, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, and as with everything else, this is a story of a failure of imagination. So, you know, I guess in a way, like, you know, if there's a meshing of sort of the mission that brings us to the table together is that, you know, you're here to help me, like, improve my imagination. And, and I'm here to, you know, try to, like, fix those mirrors so I can see my blind spots. And, um, and then I guess minimally you know, allow that to inform our conversations and then bring, um, bring at least for me, a new attitude out into the world as I go. I mean, I, I'll give you a, for example, right? So sure. um, I listened to this podcast called The Politics Guys. And um, this is one of my, you know, honestly, sources of news. It's kind of, I sort of unlocked the code in terms of how to like, get as much news as you need without being sucked into the poison of it, you know? And one of them is following this podcast. And what it is, is a bipartisan conversation between smart Republican and smart Democrat, um, you know, talking about different 
issues and they get all sorts of wonky policy wise. And so naturally they've been talking about, you know, police brutality and police violence. And one of the things they said in, in the episode last week was, you know, what makes the issue of police brutality so hard policy wise is that it's, it's, it's damn near impossible to get the information you need to know what policies to come up with. And a part of that is because the police polices themselves, right? So they don't like yes. keep track of how many people they've killed throughout the years. Um, 100%. And, right. They, they don't, they don't like do that shit. And so they're saying, saying, well, I don't, we don't even know how to approach this policy wise. So we don't have the information. So minimally we know that there needs to be a, some sort of, you know, um, organization that is not part of the police that polices the police and keeps track of keeps track of this shit. And we don't know how to do it, but that needs to be the case. And at first, I'm sitting there going, "Yeah, you know, that's a pretty significant problem." And then I'm just like, "Wait a minute, you could just ask black people." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to sit yeah. there like talking about like how yeah. impossible it is to fucking find out this information. You know, it's like it didn't even occur to them, like, you know, the two white guys that were talking about it. Just fucking sure. go and ask black people. Yeah. They can tell you. If you do yeah. a survey, I guarantee you, you could do a survey yeah. of African-Americans yeah. who will then turn around and say, yes, my uncle Joe, my, you know, my aunt Patrice, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. this and that. And, and all the different people throughout the years that have been killed or harassed by the police and they wouldn't have to exaggerate, you know, you could, right. um, you, you know, sort of adjust that. for mm-hmm. that and for memories <laughs> and things like that. But you'd have basically the information. Yeah, th- this whole we need to count it and do a study thing is just a way of not doing anything. Honestly, yeah, and this, this is something people in power have been doing since we could read and write. <laughs> and 100%. Like, oh, and it, study the problem. It's like, yeah. no, I don't need to study the problem. Just stop putting lead into the water, into the atmosphere. How about that? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it speaks to, like, I mean... Yeah, like in the, those cases, like they're, you know, they're just like using stall, like a study is like a stall tactic, basically. And, and it oh, totally yeah. is because they take years. And, you know, like meanwhile, the evidence is right there fucking smacking you in the face like a brick. But like yeah. this particular yeah. case was really disturbing because these are people who are really smart. You know, normally I, I kind of really follow the stuff that they are, quote unquote, you know, woke, <laughs> I mean, people like in terms right. of that, because they have an ability to dialogue with each other in ways that just is not happening in society. And it was like both of them, you know, it didn't even, it didn't even, it didn't even begin to occur to them that like the people that it's happening to are perfectly capable of giving you the information that you need. So why yeah, aren't you thinking uh, of it? You know, people tend to infantilize non-whiteness yeah it's like yeah. they're not capable like you know my people are supposed they're not capable of you know doing anything for themselves and they forget that there was a specific targeted <laughs> detailed vast in scope plans to make sure my people couldn't take care of themselves don't give them clean air clean water don't give them good housing don't give them good jobs don't give them good education <laughs> Yeah, you know, and like again, you know, it's set up quite deliberately at first, and then it just becomes a self-perpetuating system. Right, right. Yeah. You don't even need yeah, racism. So then you look at it and just like, well, look, they don't even know how to do this. It's like, well, you know, we did have Black Wall Street, and let's go back further. We had our own. Uh, they wouldn't call them kingdoms, but yes, we had our own 
perfectly fine, sustainable governments and ways of life before there was an interruption from European invasions. You know, went yeah. on since the dawn of time, and it's yeah. like, no, you guys went and broke up families. <coughs> you split yep. people up. You changed their names. You changed their language so they couldn't communicate. Yep. And destroyed entire cultures. You know, like, you know, like uh, you know, talk about stranger in a strange land that might have been given to the wrong people. <laughs> yeah. Know. Yeah, and then they act like it's just like oh, it's just the nature of like an inferior genome or something like that, you know? Exactly, culturally deficient or whatever. It's just like no, there's nothing. We're all one species, except there's been a dedicated effort to cause this uh, chaos. Exactly, exactly. So, um, uh, how many episodes did you manage to listen to uh, so far? Episodes of oh, the podcast uh, you're talking about. Yeah, none. <laughs> oh, you didn't get to it. <laughs> I didn't get to it. Like I, le- I, le- I legit just because of the topic. Like I just can't. <laughs> All right. Like, All I, get, right. I get why it's important. I'm just like, but I just can't. It's almost along the vein of a uh, totally different, different topic, but it affects the brain the same way. It's when I was like, okay, Donald Trump is very dangerous, and he's the president now, so it's like the most dangerous person on the planet. <laughs> All right, uh, I need to follow all this stuff to do with Donald Trump. And then it was just like, it's too much. Like, <laughs> All right, well, let me see if I can... White House updates, disconnect <laughs> his updates. It's just like, I can't listen to what he's saying anymore. Uh, uh, I think Rachel Maddow was the first person to popularize the uh, phrase, don't worry about what he's saying, just watch what he's doing. <laughs> so yeah. I'm kind of like at that point now, like the whole, he's saying this, he's saying that, like the story. It's like, the whole thing, just like with the analyzing racism and, you know, white privilege and all that's like, we've been there, done that to death. Like, I can't, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny for, for a, a minute, I too, and by a minute, I mean for a significant chunk of time, like most of his presidency, I too mm-hmm. was on this um, whole, like, try not to worry about what he says, just worry about what he mm-hmm. does thing. And then uh, recently um, I had a realization that, that says is uh, a version of does. <laughs> a version of does yeah. <laughs> like speaking is an action too. You know, people say like, I'm all about words, not, a- I'm all about action, not words. Action you know, it's like, words, dude, yeah. words are an action as well. <laughs> you know, that's just a yes, form yes. of action. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially when he's got a solid, consistent 35 to 38% of like, you know, almost religious type followers. Yeah. Yeah. And he's using words to motivate actions. So, um, you know, it's totally a fucking, uh, part of the story. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, all right. So then let me like, uh, I want to, I, I still need your help here. So let me, let me maybe Cliff's notes version. Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you like some cliff notes and then, um, and then let's catch your reaction and my reaction to see what, what it sort of does for the conversation. You can help me rearrange my brain sort of starting at the beginning. So I, I really focused in the, I've listened to each episode a few times. Um, but I really focused in that, you know, since we talked about doing this into the first three episodes, because the first three episodes are sort of from, from to my mind, like a really good starting point. Um, cause something really interesting happens in the first three episodes. So in episode one, um, so this is, again, this is seen on radio, um, their series seeing white and, um, it's by a guy named John Baywin. And then he brings on a special guest, a friend of his, a man named, uh, Ch- uh, Chenjare, uh, Kumanika. Um, and, uh, 
so John Baywin is um, is a white guy. He's a professor at Duke University, um, and um, he's a professor of of media. And so he does these this scene on radio podcast where he does different seasons focusing in on different topics. And um, and in this first episode, what he is wanting to do is he's working on kind of establishing like a mission statement. So most of the episode is just a conversation with his friend. Um, and what, what he says is, look, you know, this isn't about, um, this isn't about white power or extremism or overt racism. Like those people have had their time in their voices and those people are awful and, you know, they're dangerous and we have to keep our eye on them, obviously. And we want there to be no more of those people, but they're not the ones who are perpetuating, you know, problems with, racism in America and especially, you know, African-Americans and Native Americans, right? They're not the ones that are like keeping that's going. It's not people like them. It's people like me. Um, and uh, um, so it's a, that's kind of where the episode starts is they're establishing a mission statement. It's not going to be about them. It's going to be about, you know, the systematic racism, the systems and the policies and the mindsets that were put into place that created sort of the world as we, as we see it today. Um, and so that's basically the, the first, the first episode is, um, kind of where that is. Um, he begins in a really interesting place though, and I'd, I'd love to kind of hear your reaction to this, where he talks about this, um, quote by D.L. Hughley. Um, and mm -hmm. it was, um, made during, um, just as Trump got the Republican nomination. So before he was elected. And, um, and folks were talking about, well, how is this possible? Like, how is he making it this far? And what D.L. Hughley said was that while Obama, represents kind of America's aspirations, like what we aspire to be. Trump represents what we actually are. Um, and uh, it's a really interesting kind of statement. So I wonder if that, just if that point resonates with you at all. <laughs> I'd say yes. Uh, but... Slightly. How uh, so? It's uh, something my family and I have been talking about uh, for yeah. the past couple of years now is this idea that we don't really elect people that uh, uh, represent some kind of like goal-oriented thing or whatever. It's more like we feel whatever, like viscerally, emotionally, empathetically. We have a, there's a certain emotion just prevalent in the nation, and we elect the person who reflects that image back to us. Uh. So... By that rationale, and Al, we were kind of at the point where we're like feeling good about ourselves as Americans, like, you know, patriotic and all this stuff, you know, it's a uh, post 9-11 and it's, you know, it's time, right? We're, we're mature. We're ready for this. Finally, you know, we could have a, you know, a wise, mature, you know, black man as president, you know, right. That's kind of like was the mood of the nation. And then now people are just angry. People are just right. really angry. They want everything to change. They don't know exactly why to change it. They just know it's not working for most people. And they don't really have like a wisdom or an intellect about it. But that's like the emotional, like, like people who hate Trump, like me, still know things need to change. Now, that didn't make me go elect Trump. But like, yeah, he's way different. And there is a lot of racism and anger and all that stuff. But there's some supposedly non-racist people that voted for Trump because right. he's just an angry, <laughs> different person. And right. I think that was the character of 
of the nation at that point, even though he didn't win the popular vote. Um, but still, there's a large segment of the population that's just angry and fed up and doesn't know what to do. And right. it's a reflection of that more than anything right. else. Right. I mean, you know what's kind of interesting? I mean, on, on one hand, like, you know, you look at the whatever 60 million plus people who voted for Trump and it's just like, Jesus, fuck, are there like 60 million yeah, yeah. racists in this nation? Like, that's crazy. And, and um, that's like hard to believe. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's like it's you can look at that. And, and there are like the you know, one of the hosts of the politics guys is this really intelligent woman who I, who I actually like what she says a lot of the times. And she admits that she voted for Trump and um, talks about how that sort of speaks to the way in which, um, you know, the American voting electorate is sort of held hostage by the idea that, you know, we're electing someone so that they can elect judges to the Supreme court. You know, that's like a, because that's like a really consequential thing. And when you think about the fact that like Antonin Scalia died a couple of years ago and, you know, he actually got put on the court by Ronald Reagan and he easily could still be alive, which means that like Ronald Reagan's icy fingers are still like reaching ahead into the future, you know, decades after his presidency. Like that's fucking crazy. And so people are held hostage by things like that, you know? So on one hand, it's like, yeah, there can't be 60 million racists. On the other hand, what would have changed with Clinton? Like I wasn't voting for Clinton because I knew that she was going to come on board and like ra- and like radically change the the police force. Like that shit wasn't even like no, no, in that my that wasn't on our radar, you know. Yeah. And it, it and it could have certainly wasn't on hers. No, not all at all. People in power are like, listen, Obama wouldn't have got there. Hillary wouldn't have gotten there. Yeah, uh, none of these presidents would have gotten there unless they were within a certain narrow range of a personal belief system. Like we filter out for that. You don't rise to those upper echelons of political power. Like, yeah, they all more or less believe the same thing, right? Yeah, and yeah. It's not they're not radically different from each other. Like none of them are right. talking about unravel capitalism for starters. It was just how right. people going back to that. Like that's the heart in the beginning of like the problem when right. you're determining people have uh, uh, a certain economic value rather than an inherent value. That's already a problem that like sets the right. stage. And, right. Like, you know, Pelosi laughs at the idea. She's like, well, this is a capitalistic country. Like we're, you're never going to get rid of that. Like it's, it's ridiculous to all of them. So that's not going to change. So, baseline they all believe in like a hierarchical power structure yeah that's a problem you're not going to change everything anything if you believe there should be an elite wealthy ruling class yeah and nothing will change and except through violence you know that's how it yeah. always changes you know when the yeah. elites, wealthy elites don't want to change eventually the peasants rise up and no matter how good your weapons are there's a hell of a lot of us more, more peasants than they are there. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot more peasants. That that's where the idea of the whole you know pyramid, the society as a pyramid that we talked about last episode, mm-hmm. really fits here because the, the idea is the higher you get, the the smaller the numbers get. You know, yeah. Um, so okay, yeah, I, you're 100 percent right. By the way, I mean that's the like this is obviously a story of uh, failure of imagination. You know, I mean, that's that's really where this is at. I mean, I feel handcuffed by my by my imagination here because I hear you say we need to do away with capitalism if we're going to do away with racism. 
And it's like my skin starts to crawl. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know how to, I'm That's like, I want to change, I want to change the subject, you know, like I, I want to, <laughs> like, like, I want to, I want to white explain to our listeners what you mean in a way that's like softer. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of like, like the uh, whole, uh, where they call it defund the police. And yeah. then immediately, like, what don't really mean defund? Yeah. And then like, like at my collar. people are like, no, we actually mean defund, right? <laughs> and then other people are like, no, we just mean shift some resources. Yeah, yeah. Or and like, oh, I see. Like, well, my under, yeah. like, let's get rid of the effing police. I don't want to be policed. I don't need to be policed. My people need to be policed. There are other, if you want to uh, select a group of people that's here to protect us, then let's do that because that's not the police. Yeah. That's not the police. You know what I mean? So let's get rid of the name. Let's get rid of the whole thing. And like, again, just like they did with the constitution, but with a more diverse group of people, yeah. let's get a group of people together in a room and argue for uh, how, how long it takes to figure out how to build a society. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I hear you say that. And all I imagine is fucking dystopia. You know, anarchy, just like yeah. the road, <laughs> anarchy, you know, like, okay, so I'm going to support Dre's plan, but let me like stock up on fucking pasta. Yes. In the <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it, it actually, it, it, it wouldn't be that bad. The thing is, it's like we're taught uh, generationally uh, distrust in each other, uh, no matter how much of an optimist you are, like you distrust other yeah. people. You yeah. distrust yourself, yeah. right? And you think we need enforcement of like these cultural mores. Yeah. We need to enforce uh, the peace. And sure, there's always going to be some people, right? I can admit that it's not like I don't. I I distrust people too. Right? Yeah, but yeah. I still think we can settle into something way better uh, than the situation of this gross uh, inequality yeah yeah no a hundred percent and like what i want to figure out how to do is like how to engage with these ideas in a way that like i don't know isn't so isn't just like a horse running with blinders um because that's like how i feel and and, and i don't know like i really just don't know how to take them off or how to you know i don't know I don't know. It's well, uh, it feels from like from what you're saying, right? it doesn't seem like you have many many blinders left. Uh, but if we go back to the analogy of like you know people having loops and for history having like loops, the fear of it is like even knowing what you know, you might go back and do the same thing, or you catch yourself doing the same thing. Right? You know you shouldn't be doing. Right. Right. I mean, well, that's the thing. Like you're hearing all these really smart people you know, coming at this with, you know, just exactly the wrong attitude. Like this isn't a story of like, we just need to change hearts and minds. This really right. is like, no, we need to like do actual things, you know? <laughs> like, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. But the smart, you know, what do we look at? Like we look at uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech and we hide the fact that this dude was like trying to make real sliceable change you know, behind a message of, I have a dream yeah. that one day all children. Yeah. He had an dream. economic plan. Yeah. <laughs> right. An yeah. anti-war economic plan. And yeah. both of those were big no-nos. Yeah. He could have kept doing the whole, you know, let's all get along stuff. And mm -hmm. that, that was fine. People were willing to hear that. But when you start talking about, uh, we should have very strong unions 
that's kind of like, ah, uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, we shouldn't be fighting certain wars. Uh, that's a big no. Like you might want to pump the brakes there, sir. Like <laughs> right. Right. I'm all about, you know, you know, blacks and whites using the same toilets, but uh, this whole no war and strong union stuff, you know, people having yeah. fair pay. I don't know. I don't know if I like that, you know, yeah. They'll need some rich guys to tell us what to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's, it's funny, you know, um, so, I mean, I, obviously through all my rabbi stuff, I did a lot of study on the Bible and kind of what the Bible was all about and everything else. And because mm-hmm. I love history, like the Bible has a historical document is something that obviously has always fascinated me. And you can really find a lot of interesting things about what life was like a few thousand years ago, just by reading the Bible from a historical mindset. You know what I mean? So like, um, for example, people often like the hot, but one of the hot button kind of topics and issues that we find in the Bible is stuff about, um, you know, gay, gay rights and, uh, homosexual relationships and things like that. And there's this passage in Leviticus that says a man should not lie with another man as a man does a woman, um, because that is an abomination. Right. And they use that mm-hmm. word abomination. And yeah. that then becomes this like target text for like, you know, why, you know, homosexuality is wrong. But like yeah. what's really happening there is that word is giving us a clue in terms of what they're actually talking about, um, because that word is only ever used for ritual things that other people do, meaning yes. that like yeah, it's, the it's other. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a polemic. It's a it's a political polemic of, you know, a message of this is what our neighbor enemy cultures mm-hmm. are participating in and we're not them, so we don't do that, right? So like the human nature component there that's really interesting is is an, a kind of us and them dynamic that people tend to have at all levels. And you know, racism is you know the maybe the stinkiest part of it, you know, but it's also like mm-hmm. Yankees versus Red Sox, right? Yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, you know, Goshen versus Middletown. Um, it's like it's all, very you know, easy to divide people up like that. Yeah. Right. Get them to do it on automatic pilot. Like it's a, something we're uh, kind of used to for some reason. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, because when you look in the Bible, the word abomination also happens to be used for eating shellfish. And uh, mixing your fabrics, you know, and and uh, marking up your body, and and then worshiping false gods, you know, mm-hmm. um, or or bringing all, um, all, all things that basically foreigners were associated with, whether it was yeah. true or not. Yeah, and specifically ritual things, you know, religious yes. things that foreigners yeah. were associated with. So, um, so th- so that's why they like look down on it, you know. Um, Even baptism by water came uh, came about as that because at some point, somehow, uh, they used to use oil for baptism. Yeah. Like you would anoint your head with oil and then it became, no, we're going to use water. Uh, Really, there's a whole bunch of reasons later, but the first reason was because that became associated with the Greeks and the Romans. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just like, yeah, we don't want to really like reflect that. So let's, let's come yeah. up with something else. Water, we'll use water, you know, birth is water, you know, rejuvenation, something, you know. <laughs> right. Right. And then there's that like funny shift when, um, when like a religion is trying to sort of convert people or, 
convince their own people that they should continue to be a part of it. And so like what they'll do is they'll take some of the rituals that were going on then and then like work it in somehow, you know what I mean? So like the best uh, Christian example of that is probably the Easter bunny and like chocolate and eggs for that like springtime holiday where it's like, well, why are we doing this exactly? Yeah, it's, it's like it's, an amalgam of anything. Yeah, the Christians yeah. were like experts. That they were, <laughs> but destroy so destroy the pagan site, but you can't destroy the the, the tradition. So you kind of co op it and slightly change yep. it time. Yep, yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And th- those pagans were almost always about um, you know uh, um, fertility in the springtime. And so sure. springtime holidays where, you know, you were trying to convince people either to not be pagan or to stop being pagan. What you're doing is you're taking some of the best parts of the those springtime holidays. Say, so, yeah, we, well, we still have chocolate here. You know, we've got bunnies yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. You know, come on over, you know. <laughs> I, and we do that in Judaism, too, by the way. My favorite example, there's this cookie called the Homentaschen. Have you heard of this before? Oh, you might have had one at my house. It's the triangular cookies that are filled with jelly. Remember, we used to make those. Oh, for sure, for sure. Right. So those are called homentashen, and and um, most American Jews will say it stands for Haman's hat. Haman is like the bad guy for Purim, and they're like, well, he wore like a tri-cornered hat, but it's a fucking Persian story, dude. He didn't wear a tri-cornered hat. They didn't have those in Persia at that time. What was he like a father of the American Revolution? You know, it's like ridiculous. <laughs> and the word homentashen actually means Haman's ear because it kind of looks like an ear. So like the word itself is like, yeah, we're we're symbolically eating Haman's ear. Well, why would we do that? Like that doesn't why? make any yeah. sense at all. <laughs> Until you look at the history of that actual cookie and, and what you realize is, is that it's actually a fertility cookie. Um, it was like a, a, a traditional pagan cookie eaten around the time of, of the worship of the goddess, the Asherah. And um, people had these little fertility goddesses in their house, like people have bobbleheads today. And um, and they would sort of worship them. And, um, and they had this little triangular shape that represents the, the female re- reproductory tract. So a, a homentashen is actually a uterus cookie. It's a, it's a vagina <laughs> cookie is what it really is. Um, but we don't call it that because nobody would eat it. You would have a lot more followers if you did. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's what's kind of weird, right? Is that the story of racism yeah, yeah. is like, is actually a very similar story to that. It's like, well, you know, you had a power elite that like actually really wanted to, um, you know, uh, control the narrative of a thing so they could mm. keep getting, getting stuff. And so they commissioned someone to write a narrative of a thing and, and then racism is created. Like that's actually the story. It's fucking, <laughs> it's crazy. So, um, in the, do you, first of all, do you have anything to add to what I've just said here? Cause I want to share with you about the second episode and how they dive in. No, no, go ahead. Are you sure? Yeah. All right. So, um, so in the second episode, they start going into the kind of ancient history. Um, and they talk about how folks would have identified themselves, you know, sort of based off of that kind of exactly how we're talking now. You read the Bible and you can kind of pick up like, you know, it's like history is history is kind of like the study of waypoints, you know, like when you get a hold of a document, you can read it as a waypoint and then glean what was important to them because of what's in the document. You know what I mean? Like, sure. You might like if the Bible makes a statement against, you know, homosexual sex between men then one thing that we can glean from that is that there were Jewish people 
who were participating in that activity. You don't need a, a, a law saying don't do it if no one's doing it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, Thou shalt not worship any other gods other than me. It's like, well, that means people were worshiping other gods besides yeah. <laughs> like, you. Know. Exactly. It's a thing that was happening. And then we can like unpack kind of what was going on. So um, what they do is they kind of walk us through the history of racism. And, and they walk it back, first of all, to as far back as Aristotle. And what you see is that there's a long history of people coming up with arguments about you know, why they're better, right? So the Greeks are going to look in all directions and see that they're better than everybody in all directions. And that includes people who are white and people who aren't white. You know, they're going to look towards Europe and say, yeah, we're better than those, you know, uh, Gaelic people like swinging from the trees up there. For sure, those Germanic tribes were, were definitely way better than them. And we're better than the North Africans and we're better than all these other folks. And And the first person to really you know, at least one of the oldest people to really record like an attitude about that racially was actually Aristotle, um, who um, had an argument about that. And they talked about it. But the thing was that even at that time, there were other prominent philosophers who had different arguments and disagreed. Sure. So Aristotle came out and said, no, there's like, there's an actual superiority here of Greeks over other folks. And then, um, you know, someone else came forward and said, no, 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 there's no inherent superiority. Uh, people are just born into whatever cultures and communities they are. And if you were to take the folks and put them in different places, they would assimilate to whatever those cultures are, right? Yeah, um, Side-related, side distantly related note to that is the, the biggest guilty people of that uh, line of thinking right now are the atheists. Oh my God, you need to unpack what you just said. <laughs> you, you listen to like some of the preeminent atheists right now, they always have this idea because they think they're so rational. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, and much more rational than we are and anybody else may be, you know. And so they're, or they're so rational that they think they can almost apply a mathematical system to specific cultures or any culture and rate them on some kind of scale that says, oh, well, this culture might be like a six and this culture might be like a 10. And, you know, here, here we are at like a 15, you know, based on like whatever cultural uh, attributes happen. So we'll take, uh, you know, Islam and say, well, if you're worshiping any kind of deity, especially a deity is telling you to do something violent, then, you know, you're going to lose you know points for that, essentially. <laughs> so therefore, sure. that culture we can demonstrate and say is inferior to another culture that doesn't do that. Not because they're, the whole time, it's all subjective. Right, right, right. And it's subjective to specifically make their culture, wherever that particular culture may be, the number one culture. You know, it's like, how do they not realize that a uh, person who believes in Islam or uh, Catholicism or so on and so forth isn't looking at theirs and saying, well, our culture is the best. They're same, doing the same thing. Right, but the atheists are trying to put some kind of pseudo scientific uh, lens on it, and That's then therefore it has some sort of attraction. Right, but it's just as false. Right, right. God damn, that's fucking crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, back back when I was still doing the rabbi thing, the argument about racism was actually a place that I would sort of go as as like supporting religion. Um, which was interesting because a lot of folks like have, I mean, it was just like a counter to the argument of um, religion is the root of all evil. I mean, just look at what it does. Right. And it's like, well, wait a minute here. 
uh, racism didn't come from religion. I hate to break it to you, but that's like a yeah. scientific invention. <laughs> like yeah, 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 the institution yeah. of science is what came up with that one. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, but the truth is there really isn't a separation between the institution of science and religion. I mean, even historically, you know, they're funded yeah, not, by the, not when it comes to racism and things like that. No. And not even when it comes to literal relationships, because they're funded by the mm-hmm. same people. You know, so the, the original scientists were, you know, sort of Catholic monks, weren't they? You know, it was like, yeah, yeah. you know, that's yeah. where that stuff was going on. And it's still the same people that are like funding one or another. Um, so yeah. it's just a different tool for the same project, basically. Um, and, but, and it is crazy to think that atheism is the same. You know, where I really encountered that is the kind of the uncovering, you know, the blind spot of the smugness of being a northerner um, yeah, in sure. that, like, you know, I mean, I, I, my family was in, my father's family was in America during the civil war, but they were in the Ozark mountains and I don't even know what they did. I started looking into it, by the way, like I want to do that to hear kind of like figure out what my family's like. Cause I just sort of assumed that my dad's family were too poor to have slaves. But I actually don't, mm-hmm. I actually don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> and I don't know what side they were in Missouri. So people in Missouri were sometimes fighting for the North, sometimes fighting for the South. And, um, so it's, it's hard to know exactly what was going on there. So I want to do a deep dive into sort of figure out if if I can even find that, but like growing up in the North, there's this smugness that goes along with just like, you know, our side fought, bled and died for slavery to end. And therefore like we can hold a mirror to our faces and not see racists at all. Um, and then sort of walk through this. And I can even, you know, I even got to the point where I was like able to say, yeah, but like Chicago, you know, Boston, Detroit, New York. I mean, these are racist cities. Um, I mean, is there, is there a town even to this day more segregated than New York city? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? So there's this like kind of smugness that goes along with being a white northerner where we almost have our brains closed to the, to the, to the ways that we're racist and are contributing to the issue just as much as Southerners are, if not more, by the way. Um, and, uh, I feel like it's the same thing here with atheists, right? Like the, what you're saying is that like, because they have sort of broken free quote unquote from a belief in God, they are kind of conceptualizing themselves as being, you know, superior of intellect. Um, and then they walk around with this smugness when really they're just as close minded as everyone else. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So it's right along the same lines. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of, uh, of uh, self absorption and very little self reflection. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what they said was in this episode is that the beginning of white identity sort of goes hand in hand with the beginning of black identity. Like the, they're like, they're created at the same time. And it's actually created in the early 1600s. Like they could point to a date when it's created. And it's created as a result of um, um, Portuguese, you know, sort of efforts and the Portuguese kind of realization that there was a huge resource in um, human in the human slave trade in Africa. Sure. And it was an untapped resource that they could get into and get a lead on and then make a shit ton of money. Um, and so that was like, essentially, you know, really, really where it started that you had, uh, this Prince Henry of, um, Portugal 
who goes to Africa and kidnaps a bunch of black people and brings them, yeah. you know, to different places in the world to become slaves. I think 1619 is the first first one on record anyway. For, you know, Six, yeah, 1619 is the first one that lands in the States, and it's about 20 African-American slaves. Um, prior to that, you know, the the peoples that were probably the most known for slave were were Slavs. That's where the word slave came from. Um, it was Slavic peoples that were enslaved kind of the most. Um, but prior to 1619, uh, you know, prior at least to, you know, 1640 or so when things are really shifting, you know, you had slaves and indentured servants in the States, but they were, you know, of all races and backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, that's one of the stories that they kind of get to later on. That's really interesting. But, um, but it was this dude, Gomez Inz de Zorara, this guy Zorara, who was a chronicler who was commissioned by Prince Henry, Prince Henry to chronicle his travels. And what he did was he painted a, a, an unrealistic, untrue picture of African culture, saying that, um, first of all, that, uh, that it's all one big culture, not a bunch of different <laughs> cultures, and that they're all um, slovenly sloth, basically. That, um, that they live these awful animal lives and that bringing them into slavery is a vast improvement to what they had before. And so, so uh, what's really interesting about all that is that all of those beliefs hold true today. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't changed one percent. <laughs> yeah. People still believe that. There's still people talking about, oh, well, blacks were happier slaves and they're better off and healthier and this, that, and the other are slaves. Yeah. Jesus, and that we're you know that blacks are lazy. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like we're lazy. You guys created an entire institution so you didn't have to work. So did you get somebody yep. else work for you? <laughs> uh, apparently, I was would have been too young to know, but uh, my great aunts used to tell me that my great grandfather used to always say that you know Europeans or white people would do the greatest amount of work to not have to do any work. <laughs> right. right. And it's like, it is, you know, it goes from slavery right up to how the behavior is today. Like, it's like, you know, you could just do it yourself, like cut out all these other steps. <laughs> like, no, no, I'm going to go take a roundabout and get a whole bunch of other people to do it. And then, you know, I'll sit back and watch and, you know, rake up the money that way. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I'm 100% guilty of that. You know, it's like, it's like this crazy subconscious thing. I, it's, I, you know, I'm having the hardest time, like, explaining it, except saying that, like, you know, someone tells you, so um, I've been trying to, like, relate to fear of the police, right? Like, trying to, like, figure mm -hmm. out how to, like, get my, get my head there to, like, really have an empathetic mindset about what, that, what that's all about. It was like a friend of mine pushed, pushed back when I was like, you know, every time I see a police officer, I want to just remind myself that like, you know, you know, one of my best friends um, feels fear every time he sees that, you know, it's like, well, dude, you can't really force yourself to feel that authentically. I mean, do you really like expect to be able to do that? It's like, all right, well, fuck, I don't know if I can do that. So like, how do I connect to it? You know? And like, so my, my daughter Noah was, um, for a handful of years, um, between let's say between ages three or four, age four to age about nine, 
or 10, she was like deathly afraid of dogs to the point right. where if we just saw a dog, she was screaming, freaking out and getting up onto my shoulders as quickly as possible. Like to the point where like, I was actually really afraid that one day she was going to be like on a school trip and there'd be a dog and she would panic and run into the street and get sure. run over. You know what I mean? Like that's like, that's how intense her panic was. And, and that's when you're just like, Jesus, there are dogs everywhere. <laughs> like yes. you don't think about it before. It's like hey, every other person has but a now dog. you're hyper alert to it. <laughs> you're hyper alert to it. And like, I'm a dog owner now, you know, and I love dogs and all that stuff. But mm. dog owners are the worst for the most part because they see someone who's afraid of their dog and they're like, how could you be afraid of my dog? My dog is a member of my family. You know, like, like, don't you see that this member of my family is harmless? And they stand He's with like that dog in front of them. Shaking like a leaf. Yeah. 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 Noah's like screaming and freaking out and they're like with their dog like if she would just and they're like but my dog, dog is different <laughs> yeah yeah my dog is the dog that's gonna like cure you of your fear of dogs because you'll see that you know whatever and so like you know that was the thing and so like actually that's been a gateway of me to be sort of like okay well i i remember what it was like for me to like take noah out and to feel her fear where she didn't even want to leave the house because that fear was so defining. Do you know what I mean? Like sure, that's sure, how sure. intense that was. And then I look at that and I'm like, well, fuck, you could be a full on grown, you know, mentally healthy African-American person. But I think you probably have to feel fear every time you leave your house. And it might even yeah, stop, yeah. might even not stop when you're in your house because they could just come barging in. A dog's not going to break in through your front door, probably. Yeah. And if it does, that's the biggest dog. But a cop will, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, wow, that is a huge amount of fear. And what I've done is, you know, born into the middle of this essentially, you know, mental, um, I guess, uh, I don't even know, like gymnastics routine mm -hmm. of like avoiding thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. So, and, and it's like, you know, you said to me before, like, well, you know, I think you're probably pretty much there in terms of blind spots being open, but like, I don't even know. Like, I, like I'll give you an example. So um, there's the blind spot about like, Every time I see a cop reminding myself that people I love are going to have a, you know, their heart is going to skip a beat and their blood pressure is going to go up when they see it just by seeing a police officer. Right. 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 So just like reminding myself that what's well, like, all right, well, that's white privilege. You know, the fact that I don't have to feel that that's white privilege. So, you know, so then I'll say to myself, well, the issue really isn't me giving up my white privilege. It's, you know, giving black people white privilege. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'll say is that like, that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what we want. It's not that we want to get rid of privilege. We want, yeah. we want to give privilege. Right. And it's like, yeah. okay, that sort of makes sense. But you know what else is white privilege? Like not having to teach my daughters about racism. Yeah. Yeah. Like I haven't had to do that. And like, I sit here and I'm like, you know, I want my children to be children for as long as possible. And I don't want to like show them the ills of the world before maybe they're like developmentally mature enough to handle it because 
Why would I want to do that to them? But that's not a luxury that an African-American parent gets. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. I was just thinking that. I was like, wow, that's really far. And I'm like, because, you know, with us, the, the parents and the adults in the room have to give you as much information as you can handle and then some from as early as you can understand any part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's actually what it means to give up my white privilege. Right? That like, no, like actually I can't shelter my kids from this. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they they need to hear like I guess the other side of it. Yeah. So they don't be so they don't be, you know, become those types of people that inflict the same kind of harm, even if it's like a quote unquote microaggression. Yeah. Like any yeah. like any crime, you know, small crimes end up compiling into bigger crimes later on. Right. And that's the only way to like to break the next generation from the mindset that I was given, which was just make sure you're not racist. And that's all right, you right. can do. And you that's know, all you can do. Right. Right. So, you know, no, there's actually more. There's more than you can do. <laughs> Don't just make sure you're not racist. See the racist things that are happening. You got to check the next guy. Yeah. Yeah. Check the next guy, you know. So, it's like, um, um, it's like uh, thinking about you and me back in school. We were good at this. And actually, most of the guys we hung up with were good at this. Uh, if there was a man or a, a boy at that age who was mistreating any feeding email in any kind of a way, we would be on them so fast yeah. and put them in their place. Right. Even if it was just like raised voices or something like that. Just like, you can see she's afraid to like back up off her, like, you know, like yeah. separate and whatever the situation was. Right. Uh, that kind of urgency about it needs to be there like, with racism. I believe. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I absolutely think so. And then also to be able to recognize like when those moments are happening. Cause like what you just described is something pretty obvious, you know, the dudes like just all up on a girl and like, yeah, back the fuck off. Um, yeah. With this racism stuff, a lot of it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to train the brain to see it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. When such smart people are talking about it and from a good place and exactly the wrong way. Because it's they're talking about it in the way that's perpetuating it in the first place, you know. So yeah. I mean, well, we we mean in this country, we've never had a sort of our version of a uh, truth and reconciliation. Yeah, Some, something like that probably should have happened. And I know I think think there's some people calling for that now, but it's kind of too late. Honestly, it's, it's really too late. Well, think about um, it. Like, well, it's not too I, like I don't think it's too late, but I think what it requires from white people is something that most white people aren't willing to admit, which is like kind of sort of what, what I'm doing here, which is like, Oh fuck. Like I've been racist. <laughs> right, right. Like most people yeah. aren't going to do that as they've been racist. I just haven't stood up. Those yeah, like, they, they, they up, can't you know? uh, admit that like enabling it or allowing it is, is just as dangerous or more dangerous. It's more like, dangerous. Yeah. Because yeah. they're the ones that are like allowing it to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, so therefore it's, it's shown to be culturally appropriate, you know? Think of it like this, right? Like, so we've had cell phones with cameras and videoing capabilities for a bunch of years now. And so naturally what's been happening is that when possible, we've been seeing these situations, you know, happen. Um, and sometimes there's a video recording, sometimes not, you know, there are certain horrible aspects of it that are whatever. But until now, I mean, I think this is 
kind of one of the things that's making this go on aside from some other things, but like, you know, in almost every other case, you could almost see a way for people to come up with a story that would make a situation kind of maybe potentially a little bit understandable if you're approaching it from a particular perspective. You hear how I said it that way, by the way? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> that was all over not. the place. It's fucking nuts. Hedging your bets. Yeah. <laughs> you hear how I like felt I had to say it like that? But like, think about like other scenarios like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not like an expert on every single one, but, um, like the kid in Ferguson, Missouri, um, and like the way that that scene was described is he's walking in the middle of the road. He had just robbed a store, you know, da, 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 da. And then one thing leads to another and then he's dead in the street. Right. And so like you hear that story and it's like, okay, uh, Ooh, like, what do I, how do I, you know, I don't know. How do I come up with an argument for this um, in a way? And, and then it's like, you can't even talk about it because it's so easy to imagine a person looking at that and being at like, it was a situation just got out of control and da, 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 and totally understandable how it could happen. You know, meanwhile, like you pull back and like, you and I've talked about before, like they seem to manage to bring white people in alive for, yeah. you know, all sorts of crimes that yeah. do not, you know, require the death penalty even at all. Um, but like you have to have a certain type of discerning in this situation in Minneapolis. I mean, it's just so undeniable. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like the dude was handcuffed on the ground and you can't say it was just the act of one person because everybody, like you had three other people who were standing over it and just letting it happen. You can't say that it was a situation that was out of control because it was in control. Um, yeah, they had complete control and that's what they did with the control. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't say it was a person who was just fear, you know, mad with anger and out of his brain because look at the look on his face while he was doing it. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's, yeah. And in a weird way, it's the, like I'm sitting, I'm going, well, yeah, this makes a lot of sense because it's sort of like the first time it's undeniable, but yet even that's a blind spot because it was undeniable when an African American just one said that we have a problem. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> even this. Because <laughs> yeah, if it was one of their kids, <laughs> they, there would have been, yeah. been people, you know, would have been a bunch of citizens with guns actually in the streets causing problems. Yeah. Them. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, they always tell my people, you know, oh, you know, be peaceful, be peaceful. Like, right. You no, know, I fear the time for peace is, is over. And that's right. why it, I don't want to see that. <laughs> and right. that's why I keep saying, we right. need to change the complete thing because people are, they've had it. They've had it. Right. And it and takes it's, us. It's yeah. been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. So it's just too much pressure. And that would be the ultimate way to relieve the pressure. Well, we have to believe you now. You know, I mean, we just, yeah. it's, it's totally undeniable. You know, there's, there's just no way around that video evidence to the point where you got fucking Mitt Romney talking about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's crazy that, um, that we didn't just believe you before. Yeah. But, you know, that's what's. And, and we're over here stuck with like, you know, if you just, can eavesdrop when just black people when they're we're by ourselves 
we're just like they they know like you know, every time one of these happens like they know they didn't need the video like this is this is yeah. it's impossible for us to conceptualize that white people don't know this is going on I'm like right. like you know they're doing it like <laughs> right you know, they're 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 having a beer afterwards reminiscing about it like you know <laughs> this is it's just it's just that it's fine it's just that it's fine right you know blacks are unruly animals Right. Uh, lazy, they contribute nothing, you know, so therefore it's fine, you know, you have to do what you have to do to, to keep them in check, you know. Right, right. Or, you know, they're, they're one step away from animals. Um, yeah. And, uh, and therefore always something to be afraid of, always someone to keep your eye on, to be wary of, etc. Right. And you get this, like, you know, confluence of narratives that makes for a pretty awful social environment, you know, because ultimately, these are the folks who it's everyone's commuting to work together. You know what I mean? Because everyone's really mm. everyone's really the same. Um, but there's mm. such a strong divide that it gets at your psyche, even just how you feel being in the same space with a person. You know, yeah, that was one of the points they made in the pod later on. And, and you know, in later discussions, we'll we'll get to that. But, uh, you know, further. But they said, you know, northern um, sort of compare and contrast northern racism versus versus southern racism. And in Southern racism, it's like, you know, they, they don't, they don't mind how close you get as long as you don't get too high and not high meaning drugs, high meaning just like Mm -hmm. money, life, you know, advancements, things like that. And then in North, it's, you don't mind how high you get as long as you don't get too close, you know? And so you've got Mm -hmm. these like highly segregated cities, et cetera. Um, And then the other way they put it is uh, in the South, they love the person, hate the people. <laughs> and in the North, <laughs> um, love the people, hate the person. So, <laughs> you know, you, you're walking down the street and there's a black person walking towards you. And in your brain, somehow it's like, I see a threat, you know. And like, I don't cross the street. I know a lot of white people who do. Um, and But I, I don't. But I have to tell you, I do like get a little wary you know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's, mm-hmm. there, there is that. And it's, piece it's there. crazy because, like, going back to history, like, if we just look at the history of the world, you know, I know a lot of it's been erased, the history of Africa, but yeah, it's very easy to see that they weren't the ones sending wave after wave, like ship after ship after ship, invading foreign uh, countries and continents and things like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, Every culture has their skirmishes or whatever, but just nothing on the scale of like what Europe has consistently done throughout the entire history. A hundred percent. Of those continents. Yep. yep. So it's like, who's the dangerous one? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And so to convince generations of people that, oh, you know, these brown skinned people are the dangerous ones, despite history staring them in the face. And, and, you know, European history is taught, you know, white American history is taught African history, not so much, but in that history, they glorify all these wars. Like that's how we demarcate, you know, history. Actually, it's not, it's not scientific progress. It's not cultural progress. It's this war, that war, that war. (laughs) So they know about it. They have all these things. And that's the thing that the, you know, neo-Nazis and alt-right people talk about. This is why our culture is the best. You know, we conquered the world and we'll conquer it again. Yeah. And it's like, and then they still want to look at, <laughs> you know, the African descendant and say, he's the dangerous one. Then. Right. Right. 
<laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, that that's the thing about like, you know, where history and kind of science uh, are like very similar here, because as much as like science is one of the causes of racism, history is is not not unculpable as well. You know, I mean, in yeah, terms yeah. of just the way that historians and chroniclers have been used and the way we look at history. I mean, we tell the history of the West as in we are like a part of the the, the Greek line, essentially, that you know, you had the the Greeks and then the Romans and then uh, eventually the Americans. And we're kind of all part of the same, you know, lineage of thinkers and high-minded society and, um, you know, all the great kind of cultures that ever were, et cetera, right? And then we talk about like the Battle of Thermopylae, where the Spartans held off the Persians um, as like the, the, the line that was drawn in the sand. And because of those 300... Yeah. You know, Spartans, like, yeah. you know, we were able to eventually be who we are because then Greece kind of came out of that. Um, then the Greek Empire sort of came out of that. But, like, it's so stupid because when you really understand what was going on, like, we should have fucking been rooting for the Persians. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they were the true democracy. They were the ones who were, like, bringing forward, like, the high-minded Western ideals that, like, we were talking about in terms of education and the multicultural society and, yeah. you know, well, in, in my viewpoint, everyone should just stay home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay home. Uh, Spartans stay home. The Athenians who actually won that war, not, not the Spartans. Yeah. The Spartans yeah. were a, a small, yes, very militaristic culture, but it was the Athenian Navy that really yep. won that. Of course. Of course. Uh, that in some favorable weather. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's favorable to the Persians. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So the whole thing is like, uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's all, just it's all just a made up story in, in, a, in a weird way. Yeah. They, right. They cherry right. what they want to tell. Right. Uh, so the these... story of military superiority is also somehow cultural superiority. Right. So then these days, the, the study of history is the study of those kinds of like feints and maneuvers, like to sort of figure out what it's really saying about what was going right. on. You know, that's how we can sort of unpack it, I guess. So um, that then becomes a really interesting thing. So then what, like, the third episode, this is where it starts diving into American history. And what I didn't know was that America was actually really um, central to the creation of racism. Like, I always sort of thought that, no, 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 what happened was Europeans came over, brought their European attitudes and then, you know, when the white people learned that racism was bad, we naturally stopped being racist, right? That's like how it works. So <laughs> it was just an issue of attitude, but yeah. they, they brought it with them. But what you actually see when you look at history is that, yeah, that's true. They did bring it with them. And at the same time, it wasn't really developed when they brought it with them. It kind of developed here, like 100% developed here, which when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because this is where there were multiple races, you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, and this is kind of where it developed. So prior to 1619, you saw there were free African men here, free white men here, you know, free European men here. Um, and, uh, you know, they were all kind of interacting away. There were also, um, you know, indentured servants and slaves of all different kinds of ethnicities and national right. backgrounds and religious backgrounds. And so what they do in episode three is they, they take us through kind of like a handful of different stories that talk about the drawing of boundaries around what it means to be black as a way that people begin to draw boundaries around what it means to be white. Like in other mm -hmm. words, like whiteness is first defined by not blackness, I guess. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? 
100%. Yeah. So they use kind of like four stories as waypoints. And the first one is from, I want to say like 1630, 1640. So a couple of decades after the first African slaves came in, you had an example of uh, three men who were indentured servant, servants in um, Virginia. And they fled their servitude. And it was uh, an Irish man. Uh, it was a Scotsman, a Dutchman, and an African man. And they didn't, um, they were captured. The fleeing didn't go well. And the two, um, you know, the two European men were, um, punished with an additional four years of indentured servitude. And the African man was punished with slavery. Um, he was, uh, he was given the rest of his life in servitude. And, um, and that's the first example of like on the books, um, white people getting a type of preferential treatment over black people just because of the, mm-hmm. of their racial identity. Um, and so like, what are we looking at here? We're looking at a couple decades after the first slaves came to America. We're looking at a growing institution. We're looking at a power elite that recognizes how much money they can make in slavery, how much money they can make in slavery, how much money they can save in slavery. Um, and, um, and then recognizing the economic advantage that it gives them and, uh, and then therefore commission, you know, these politicians basically to begin to give white people tiny little like concessions for being white, you know? So that's kind of like where it starts. Um, and then after that, you see like other examples where it's sort of drawn even more. And then what you really see is that ultimately American racism was sort of cooked and stewed in the 1600s and 1700s, um, that that's like where it really came to be. So it starts in 1619. And then by 1790, you know, when they're starting to look at doing things like their first census, they've really got this definition of what's white and what's black. Um, but prior to that, they didn't really, they didn't really have it. Um, that's fucking crazy to me. Like the <laughs> whole idea that you can actually point to a moment in history where racism starts, you know? So like, yeah, like a decision was just made <laughs> legally. <laughs> yeah. Legally. Somehow this whole class of people is, is legally different. I mean, it, and then, it's, you know, you had a bunch of pseudoscience just started being heaped on top yeah. of that. I mean, it's straight marketing, right? Yeah, it's 100% marketing. Yeah. yeah, it's like racism as a marketing scheme. So, like, th- I mean, this is shit that you were aware of, I'm sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do with that, man. <laughs> How was I not aware of this? <laughs> It's not. It's not really focused on too much of school, like you know. Yeah. Uh, any mention at all about any of these topics in in school is like very brief, and it's not really thoroughly vetted. You kind of have to like go off on your own and do your own research. I don't know if it's any different now, but that's that's how it was when you know we were growing up. You know, right. I was kind of just like reading everything I could get my hands on. Right. But, uh, in school, not so much. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's, in school, they barely told, they barely tell you how the government works. 
I still feel like I don't really know how the government works. It's, <laughs> it's like we all know the federal government, right? Right. But it's like local. You're like, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> I'm still trying to teach myself. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's because honestly, they don't they don't want you to know. Like, not the school, but they meaning you know the power structure. You know, they don't, they don't want you to know too many of these things. That, that right. Gives you a little too much leverage. A little yeah. too many questions. Yeah, the teachers can't teach what they themselves don't know. Exactly. You know, um, it's just kind of the blind leading the blind, right? Like, yeah, that's kind of how yeah, they're able to do that. Yeah, it's all it's all by design. It's all by design. So, um, so yeah. So then, the, what they sort of point out is is that in this third episode, that um, you know, you had the first slaves brought in the early 1600s. By the mid 1600s, you're starting to see court cases where the, you know, the initial boundaries between white and black are being drawn, um, sort of legally. And it's stuff like, you know, you had the daughter of a white man that he had had with a, with a black woman with a slave who then became a slave herself. And he had asked her slave owner to promise to free her when she turned 15 after he died and the slave owner refused. And so they went to court and um, the court ruled in her favor, I think. And that made people uncomfortable. Like the idea of race mixing became a problem because as soon as you had people who were part white, part black, they couldn't have the same, you know, people wouldn't be able to look at that and sort of know what to do with that information in terms of like, well, <laughs> are you a slave? That's depressingly or hilarious. If there is such a term as depressingly hilarious, that that would be it. <laughs> right. But isn't that interesting? Like even that continues today. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and they, they ultimately created like a mindset of who would be allowed to be with who. So whereas mm-hmm. white males could essentially fornicate with anyone they wanted, um, because it was just clear that, well, their slave would be, their child would be born into slavery and that was it. Um, yeah. like no one else could choose to fornicate across those lines in any way, yeah. you know? And then you look at like kind of how our society reacts to interracial couples today. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Like, uh, you, you talk to like any number of black women who re- reflect on the whole, early days of race mixing, especially during like slavery times or specifically yeah. during slavery time. Yeah. When, you know, they're telling you black people that you're animals, right? Mm-hmm. You're basically wild animal, not, not human animals. That's a little different, but like, you know, you're basically no different than the oxen, you know, pulling the car or whatever. Mm-hmm. But so many white men are having sex with you. It's like, so are you into bestiality? Like, it's like, so there's like a real disconnect. Do you really believe we're animals, we're oxen, we're cows, we're sheep and goats? Then why are you so sexually attracted? Like, yeah. So they, they know, they know better. This is again, it's, it's like with the police shooting and violence and stuff like this. Like, this is why we can't, we can't believe. This all like, well, we didn't know. And it's like, you know, like, it's, it's like you're saying issue. what you, yeah. you need to say to keep yourself in your position of power, but you don't yeah. actually believe it. You know right. better. Like, people know better. It's not an issue of ignorance at all. 
Um, <laughs> you know, it's an issue, I guess, of for people like me, a you know, failure of creativity. Um, and, uh, you know, but just overall a systematic racism that creates these mindsets, obviously that, you know, perpetuate it, but yeah, that's, that's fucking crazy. I was thinking about like, you know, what do we, we look at like the, the great last names of the forefathers of this country, right? So Washington, Mm -hmm. Jefferson, you know, like when was the last time you met a white person whose last name was Washington or Jefferson? Mm Hmm. That's what I'm like, like there, there are way more African-American descendants of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson than there are white descendants of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> it's so bizarre, isn't it? Am I, it? am I wrong? <laughs> I have no idea, but I, I definitely have that same perception. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's fucking crazy. It's, it's crazy. So, um, you know, uh, what they end up doing is coming up with the, just basically a definition that, you know, the smallest amount of black and you're black. And by the time we get to yeah, the yeah, nation, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So by the time we get to the nation's first census in, I forget if it's 1790 or 1800, I think it's 1790. Um, they, um, are looking to find out how many, free white males, there are free white females, free white children, and then sort of a, an other, you know, an other category. They didn't even count Native Americans at that time. Um, and then you had like, you know, all the various places like Virginia um, putting rules on the book as to who is white, who can be considered white, because it's policy in terms of who they're giving out land to, and therefore giving out opportunity to, you know, Um, and that's, and so that's kind of like where the first lines were drawn. What's interesting is, is that the, the border of what makes a person white isn't actually closed until like the 1900s to like 1920 or so. Um, and we'll get to that, I guess, when we get to that particular episode, but this is like where it's first drawn. Like it's clear, this is what black is. And it's like anyone who has any African descent in them, period. Like that's where that's at. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the way, it's like, well, now we basically know what white is, but it's going to take us some time to kind of figure it, figure it out. Um, and, and it's funny because if you look at today, like, uh, white people really box themselves into a corner with that line of thinking, right? Uh, because multiple fronts, but two main things, one, all right, we know in like 2040 ish, uh, white people will become the minority, Right. But part of that certainly is not just quote unquote black people and other people. It's the fact that they made up this completely made up rule that, like you said, if there's one drop of black in you, you're black. Right. It's like, so if you're really rational, you can see the writing on the wall from the minute that you made that rule. You're going to be outnumbered. Where we are now, eventually you're going to make yourself obsolete. Yeah. Yeah. There should be a higher bar to being black. You know, that's what you're saying. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like, so it's like, we didn't like black people didn't come up with a rule about this. Like this was, you know, white man's rule. <laughs> it's like, you made yourself obsolete. Like <laughs> this doesn't make sense. Like, and it's forget. like, Oh, and now there's a full blown panic. Like, Oh no, there's hardly any of us left. Well, who made up that rule that, you know, 
why you had to be this very narrow, specific thing. Apparently, everybody's black, apparently. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, <laughs> like, uh, a lot of thought, but no thought at the same time. Like, That's a, um, <laughs> I think Wanda Sykes had that joke about Obama, where she was like, you know, I think she might have even made it in front of Obama, like one of those things. But she was like, you know, the first black president, but, you know, he's got a white mother. And so, like, right, right, right. the second he does something that we disagree, he's like, this is another white president, you know? In <laughs> 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 a long-ass line of white presidents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, they totally disavowed any part of t- that's white of him. And it's like, right. that's clearly a large chunk <laughs> of yeah. what his existence is. Yeah. She raised him. She raised yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, like I keep saying, I keep saying this all the time. Every time racism, brought, racism uh-huh. really makes everybody stupid, whether you're racist or not. A hundred percent. There is no race, and every time you try to make some kind of clarification or rule or whatever around it, it's like it doesn't hold. It just yeah. completely falls apart. Yep. Well, that's that's the point that they kind of make in the very beginning of this is that um you know once they finished the human genome pro- project and figured out you know exactly where the percentage is actually it's less than i mean at least what they say on the this podcast when you and i talked about it we had said it was like 99.5 percent is like where the difference is actually yeah they're some, saying it's, some numbers are saying 0. 0.9 yeah, yeah that's what the <laughs> so report is actually ask, but 99.9 percent right i mean you can't get more minuscule than that yeah. um and uh, um, one of the points they make is that, you know, you, you, you look in a room and, you know, it genetically speaking, I might have like I might have something more in common with someone from Ghana than that person from Ghana has with someone from Ethiopia, genetically speaking. Mm-hmm. Like, does that make sense? Like, you know, we're painting this picture possible, of, yeah. yeah, we're painting this picture of, you know, um, uh, genetic kind of differences between people based off of skin color and everything else. When actually, when you dive into the genes, what you find is that it could be that the closer relatives are often across the lines that we've seen up until then, you know, up until the human genome project as, uh, um, you know, as, as different, if if that makes sense. Like, um, so when you look at like my Jewish side, like the follow the genes, like it's just like a trip up East Africa, basically, and then into Egypt, mm-hmm. and then into Russia. Um, but like most of the people who are in the same haplo group with me are living in Egypt now, which makes a lot of sense, you know, because that's where my tribe would have come through as we then migrated to other places. Um, and uh, I don't know. So it's just it's just not a story of race. Like what what can, what yeah, actually connects no people. Thing, really. Yeah, and then and then if you get rid of race, you're forced to talk about species, and then there's only just the one, like right, right, right. And how do you base a power structure around that when people are becoming less religious? Right. So you can't use religion to say, well, this religion is better, and that doesn't keep the right people in power anyway anymore. Right. It's like they they got to come up with something else. Right. For now, racism seems to be working. So, <laughs> well, that's the point, right? I mean, that's that's why they're able to do it and get away with it. It's just because it's yeah. it's working in that way. So that then brings me to the, I guess the, I mean, for me at least, the last thing to talk about for this episode in particular 
Um, and then we'll just dive in, you know, next episode into more topics. But um, in the third episode, they kind of finish with the discussion as they always do. Like they do a thing. And then in most episodes, then uh, John has a conversation with his um, guest, uh, Chen Jirai, um about, uh, you know, the episode and trying to kind of check himself and sort of doing what you and I are doing here of just like, you know, a white guy trying to figure out how he's been racist and having a black guy help him help him do that. Right. Um, and uh, it ends with a challenge where Shenjirai says, says to John, you know, um, I, I don't envy you, he said, in terms of what your what your project is now, he said, because, you know, what we discover is that the story of white people is that it's the creation of a concept that's really about, you know, joining and being a part of a club of privilege. You know, in other words, it's a story about power more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And that's really all it's ever been. So like, how do you, so like, how do you, how are you going to come to terms with the fact that that's the story of, you know, being white, like what are you going to hold on to in terms of your whiteness that gives you a sense of pride? Like, how do you do that? And he's like, I don't envy you for having to do that. He's like, cause I have this great story about survival and different cultures coming together and, you know, creating cultures out of that. Um, and you just have a story about accepting handouts from a government and then allowing that to divide you from other people. Like that's pretty fucking stark, you know? Yeah. So well, I think the trick, the trick might be with some young people are starting to do right now is even though they don't know exactly how they, they want to tear the system down. Yeah. And that would be a great legacy if we can tear the system down and create something much better and equal. Yeah. I mean, that would be because that would then be that's idea. a story of actually sacrificing, like you said, your own power. Right. For a greater good. Well, I think there, they certainly, there certainly are a lot of young people who are ready to do it. And I don't fucking have an argument against it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, as much as like, you know, there's a lot of movement to vote Trump out. Um, look at who we're going to vote him in with. <laughs> there's another yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. angry older white guy. You know, hundred percent, and and, and, and let's add confused because they're both confused as well. Add confused and to the mix, and, and they both come from you know wealth and privilege. Both come from wealth and privilege. Both have accusations of rape and sexual harassment, um, mm -hmm. and uh, both have their hands um, dirtied by the history of race in America. I mean, right. you know, it's not as if I mean, yeah, Biden was um, Obama's vice president, but it's not as if this guy you know, has the world's best history on like, and what he's done for African-Americans in the community. Not at all. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, African-American. Yeah. The, the vice president is always uh, done with very political intentions. It's like, you know, yeah. they bring over the theoretically the, the non Obama supporters hoping that a Biden will reign Obama in. Yeah. I mean, if I'm right, I think, I think Biden had a pretty big hand in the creation of the crime bill from the nineties. That like most people yeah. point at as like the thing that incarcerated so many black people since then, you know, like, and that was created by fucking Democrats, you know, like, I, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So two sides of the same coin, then <laughs> two sides of the exact same coin, you know. I mean, they call them do nothing Democrats, and like, 
I'm afraid they really are. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're always talking about helping people and this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's a lot of, like we're saying, like, oh, let's hold the committee. We'll do a study. We'll debate it and talk about it ad nauseum. And, yeah, when we do do something, it'll be the wrong thing. And it'll be something the Republicans would have wanted to do anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't really, you know, there aren't a lot of young people that are super excited to have Biden in office. So, no. you know, they're the ones out there in the street that are, that are fighting this out. Um, and, uh, you know, they can't be too happy with what their choice is. So um, it's not a far leap to imagine, you know, a step taken to sort yeah. of tear it all down, you know, but it's just a question yeah. of and how of angry they Trump are. is hoping and it could be the case that since everyone is not too happy with Biden, that they'll just stay stay home and his angry supporters will actually go out and vote Trump back in again. There's a lot of time. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of time between now and then and a lot that could happen between now and then. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, if the election were today, I don't know what would happen, but there's definitely a, a lot of time between now and then. So we just don't know, just don't know where it can go. But like for me, in terms of the whole white identity thing, I mean, you know, my past in a way, like, what I've done all this time is try to deny it, you know, where I'll point to my Jewish side and be like, well, I'm not white exactly because I'm Jewish. It's a different perspective. And that's mm -hmm. not exactly wrong, but that's not exactly right either. Um, right, right, and then right. I'll even point to like my Irish side and it's like, well, you know, the Irish folk, we weren't like included in the original definition of white, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. Irish weren't accepted until after the civil war. You know, but, it, and, and again, like, you know, it's, it's trying to deny that stuff. Or I'll look at my history and say, my father's side were too poor to own slaves and my mother's side were Jews and Jews didn't deal in slavery. Um, but I don't know if that's true about my father's side. And I know that there were Jews who dealt in slavery, who dealt in slavery. And there were Jewish sure. pirates and Jewish mariners and Jewish business people. Yeah. They were up. They were up in every business that was going on. Slavery being the most lucrative. So of course yeah. they were a Jewish slave. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, whenever whenever there's money involved, there's a lot of evil to follow. A lot of evil to follow, and and all people. You know, and um, people. Yeah, yeah. Native no. Americans, a handful of black people, all eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about like, this is like, if I were racist, I'd pull this out of my ass like every day. But, uh, um, the, the story of the freed black slaves who started Liberia, they would do, do a deep dive into that shit. No, not at all. So like, Liberia, the African nation, um, their flag is like basically the American flag, but slightly. So it's, it was like, it was like a, like there were free, there were free black slaves who, like lobbied the government and the government supported them leaving the States and then going to Liberia and founding a nation, the nation of Liberia. Um, and the first fucking thing they did was started their own slave trade. <laughs> there you go. Got to get that paper. That's what I'm saying. They had their, they had their own paper. slaves. They were freed slaves went to Liberia and then got their own slaves. Um, so it's like, okay, this is like, this is a complicated sort of thing, obviously. <laughs> But, uh, um, but yeah, so for me, like, you know, looking at it and it's like, I, there isn't like, there isn't like a, a, a whiteness that like culturally I'm sitting here and going, no, I don't want to give it up, you know, but like, that's a, that's a, I think a demonstration of my blind spot because mm -hmm. there's a lot of whiteness 
that I get to experience that I don't want to give up. And mm-hmm. it's everything from, I don't, I don't want the police to start harassing me. You know, <laughs> I, I'd still yeah. want to have the advantages that I have. And I don't fucking want to have to teach my kids about painful things before I have to, um, or before I feel like I have to. And like, so in actuality, you know, what I think I need to be questioning is how do I feel about being white in that sense of like, you know, Mm -hmm. how do I feel about the fact that I still haven't sat my daughters down to talk to them about systematic racism, you know? And I, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I don't know. I feel like the most appropriate feeling maybe is shame. And then it's a question of, okay, well, I need to change. And so how do I do this? Like, where do I start? Um, See, you, you keep wanting to uh, personally change and that's like a noble goal. Yeah. But as you've alluded to uh, earlier, those kind of like, you know, small but important moves doesn't do anything to change the, the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like my, my thing is like, it's almost like, you know, Jesus and the gospel of love. You like wants everybody to love everybody. And it's like, and I'm kind of here to tell you like, it's not really necessary. <laughs> it's not really, that would be great if we could all just like, you know, hold hands and kumbaya and like whatever. Yeah. But at this point it's like, what's right is right. And what's wrong is wrong. And people are waking up to that in mass. And it's going to be a really bloody mess if we don't do something. Right. It's like, right. Yeah, so it's like, so the, the family stuff and the personal struggle stuff, crucially important. Like you're living that, but more important is the entire bigger structure. Right. Because let's say you could flip some kind of like a neuron or brain chemistry. And then like, you completely woke all the time. You're completely aware. You have all these conversations. You and your family are doing the right thing. It doesn't matter. Right. You still have to go out, work, pay taxes into a system that you really don't support and is doing horrible things. Right. Right. And so that's like the thing that we really have to destroy is that system. Like, cause like even me, for every black person in this country <laughs> who's paying taxes or doing anything, we're the system is so interwoven that everything you do is supporting the system. So like I could conceivably get shot in the face by a police officer and I would have paid him to do that. You paid him to do that. That's the system right. <laughs> we're in right now. Right. So it's more important to like, like destroy that. Right. Right. I don't even know where to, I don't know how to do that. It's, but, it's interesting because like, a lot of this stuff, you know, is coupled with a combination of like uh, fear and survival. Right. And they put the two things together. Right. But right now we're at this level of uh, technology where survival is really not, it's out of the question. It's like uh, easy to obtain as long as we don't, we can destroy ourselves, but there's, there's nothing else from the outside that's going to destroy us from this. Right. Um, you know, so aside from like maybe a comment, but even that we can right. conceive of that and we could, if we wanted to do something about that, right. You know, we could be focusing on exploration and science and, and instead of acquiring all the capital into just a few hands. Right. Right. Um, so with that said, you know, we could produce enough food, enough clean air and water, enough shelter, enough medicine 
and enough, uh, you know, housing for everyone. Right. That exists right now. Yeah, that, that possibility but exists right now. We're saying instead of doing that, it's more important to have one percenters and five percenters and 10 percenters. Right. And it's more important to have these fake electoral systems and so on and so forth. It's more important to have a population that's policed. You know, it's not important to have, you know, proper education or to have the educators, you know, treated well and respected. Right. So right. it's like, it's a matter of shifting priorities like completely. Right. It's like we got it upside down and inside out right now. It's like we have the ability to do these things right now. And the question is, it's going to happen, right? And it's going to happen one of two ways. Either we're going to kill each other <laughs> and the dust will settle. Mm-hmm. And then the next generation, this is going to be some kind of smaller population. will let that happen unless we totally wipe each other out. Or we can finally sit down and say, hey, these are the things we all need to survive. We can do them. Let's do it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Like, this whole like this whole idea that people don't want to work and they don't want to contribute. We see that's BS. You were just talking about the history of like where that idea came from. Right. And even as recently as this pandemic, the fear was, oh, if we give people extra uh, money to stay home, they're never going to want to come back out to work. There's people outside protesting talking about, let me go to work. Right. It's sick and die. You know, people can't stay in the house. We can't stay in it. We want to do something. Right. But maybe if these other resources were handled more appropriately, people could finally work at, you know, for want of a better term, what God put them here to do. Like we all have things that we'd rather be doing that we're good at. And you can't explore those things because you have to do a nine to five that most of us just fell into so that you can pay taxes and pay this and pay that and and pay all these other people to keep dominating you. Like you're paying to be dominated. Right. Uh, That it doesn't, it doesn't need to be like that. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, and, and the thing that has, you know, usually happened in history um, even in revolutions, by the way, so-called revolutions, mm-hmm. right? Where really what you have is, you know, the rabble all roused um, and yeah. all the reasons that you say, and then a handful of rogue, you know, upper caste people come along and lead them into a, a quote unquote new system. That's really mm-hmm. just a perpetuation of the old system. It's really just the same upper sure. class people. Yeah, you come up with a different thing. You like it's it's a different model. Yeah, of like we're saying, one time it was religion, the next time it's race, and then it's capital, so on and so forth. Right, and it's a few. So yeah, what were you gonna say? No, I was gonna say yeah. So that that's why I was gonna come to that. Like, uh, it, the, I don't know. It's like the people in power, I think, are gonna have to give up the power, or it's gonna be taken. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're going to have to reduce your voice as a person who is in power or you're going to have no voice at all. I think that's right. where we're headed with this. And their their hope is what they've always And there's no reason. There's no reason. Like, <laughs> right. there's no reason that it has to right. become that bloody. Well, but except that the greed is so immense. Right. You know what I mean? They don't want you know, to. I need a million. Image. I need a billion. I need a trillion dollars. You yeah. know, I need... Yeah. Like, uh, in game theory, it was a, like, zero-sum game. Yeah. Meaning, like... We can't both win. Right. There's this idea that like, we can't both come out winners. Right. I have to win everything and you have to lose everything. Right. That system can't continue. No. And that's the system that we have. Everyone is 
out competing to box the next guy out. Right. And that needs to, that's what needs to stop. That's what needs to stop. And And so the question is to the people in power, whatever level of power you have, uh, are you willing to give that up so we all have a tomorrow? (laughs) Or are you going to risk just being completely wiped out forever in all times? Because that's where it's headed. Well, whether whether it's because of because of these protests or something bigger down the road, mode, like the when the division of all these resources keeps going to fewer and fewer and fewer people, and there's no hope for tomorrow, and we're right there right now. There is no hope for tomorrow right now. Well, and then it's going to come to a bloody end. And then inevitably, what they'll give to avoid the bloody end is whatever minimal amount of concessions required to keep the status quo. And ideally it'll be the kind of concessions that ultimately make them even more money on the back end. Um, and that's, that's so, so people like me, but more importantly, people like you have to apply pressure and keep applying the pressure. Like, right. We have to not accept the concessions. We have to say, no, this isn't about concessions. This isn't about small changes. This is about significant, structural change um yeah 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 every 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 stupid uh reply they've been offering to so-called police reform uh and the economic structure right now ever 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 since this um i want to say most recent police shooting but it's not even the most really recent one yeah but the one that everyone's talking about george floyd everyone's talking about yeah uh yeah it's nothing like, and everyone I'm talking to for the first time in a long time realizes it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. So, all right. Well, uh, this is a start. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the, the idea is here, like, um, I, you know, I don't know how many episodes we can go on this until we either figure it out, change it, or, um, you know, talk ourselves into circles. Um, but my, <laughs> my mindset is to kind of like, you know, two or three episodes at a time, like use that, even if you never listen to it, like I'll listen and then try to use that to kind of bring up topics and try to see if I can, right. you know, um, figure out, you know, for me, how to, how to be different. And then also, you know, hear your challenge and, um, figure out what to do, um, what group to join, what petitions to sign. I don't even know what to believe needs to happen. Like, um, and, and how to sort of take steps towards making that happen based off of sort of what we talk about. Um, and you know, I, I'm sitting here right now and, and I'm just feeling myself going, I need to like assimilate all this stuff and let it, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of percolate. So, um, you know, do you have anything else you want to add to this kind of first step? I don't know how many, you know, how many episodes will go. Uh, but my mindset is let's just go until we think we've got an idea. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or, or until, or, or until I'm on board with the idea that you already have. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And then, Let's yeah. just kind of see. Or until law enforcement carts me out of here for uh, talking a lot of trash, <laughs> That's, uh, and then the whole thing is over. Yep. yep. And, then I, and then I'll do like the widest thing possible, just be like, you know, <laughs> 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 nothing to see here, folks. 
I'm, uh, what? No, I was talking to my buddy, and now I'm here playing video games. You don't have to look here. Okay. Okay. Keep on living your life, white boy. Okay, woo! <laughs> and it's like, it's a shame. You always seem like he was one of the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, my God. All right, all right. So let's, um, let's pick up, uh, later this week, maybe, uh, uh, we can record again, um, you know, Wednesday or Thursday. I already, I already talked with uh, Eric, and uh, he's fully on board with this. So we'll, um, we'll, okay. I'll edit this and we'll get it up. And, I mean, I'll edit, it, send it to you, and you listen, and then we'll, we'll get it up and take it from there. Sounds good. Awesome.